Can you imagine what home Dwight Moody was thinking about when he composed that hymn that's been so widely sung and the movements over the last century? He said it was the favorite, most favorite thing he ever did. But what home do you suppose he's talking about? Hello? Well, in a way, heaven. But that's the problem. We too often put this stuff into the other life. But what he's really talking about, and I think what Jesus is really talking about, is to come home to yourself. Come home to your true senses. Come home to the one who has loved you when you couldn't even remember it. Come home. Come home. Home to an awareness of God's loving presence in, with, and for you. I hope you take a good look at the bulletin cover. And I picked this one out of the obituary column of the New York Times. As I said, this is too good. So I got Barbara to get permission to put it on the bulletin, and I hope you'll take it home and put it on your refrigerator. Uh, For those who don't have a bulletin, let us know and we'll send you one. But basically, when St. Peter is standing at the gate and, and kind of resting on it, and some poor sweating soul up to his hips and waist and uh, sweating it out and Peter said and that's not a sin either you must have worried yourself to death and you know we, we, we have set up an artificial system of how God deals and judges with us now John Hunt had a great story that uh, I asked him permission I didn't ask permission in the last service but he told me okay now but he he, he, had a, he had a funeral service for a very difficult person. And one of the speakers in that was a son who stood up and said, Now we know that mother is looking down on us now, or maybe looking up. <laughs> now that's great humor, and it's lousy theology. The idea that a creating, loving God would damn any of his creation is the perverse work of, of angry souls who want to wreak their vengeance out on people rather than practicing the love that Jesus had tried to show. And I think I would have changed my sermon title if I'd really caught that. It just caught me this morning. And he said, I'm, I want to talk to anyone who's willing to listen. Anybody who's willing to listen now or to feel. Uh, John preached a sermon two weeks ago with a marvelous cover and and, uh, Olivia uh, read the passage that was the scene or the part where Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples. And we have the thing where Peter was objecting to it. And I was so delighted, Olivia, when we got, got out uh, on the, for the coffee hour uh, to 
me having coffee, and I commented how wonderfully it had been read. And uh, then uh, you asked me a great question. What about the ones whose feet are washed? We emphasize the foot washing, but what about being washed? And I was reflecting on that. Too often I've said, you know, we've got to get out there and wash feet. But I think before you can wash a foot, you really need to have your feet washed. Not because there's anything wrong with them, but because in humility, Jesus comes and said, you know, I, I, I want to show you that I care. Now, that was a great ritual in the day when people would come to dinner and you were an honored guest and, and, and a servant would wash. But here the master becomes the servant and sets a whole new thing up. And, and, uh, and, and so Peter had a hard time with it, as he always did. But I think if any one of us, if Jesus or anybody like him came up and wanted to wash our feet, we'd be uncomfortable. Because it's hard. It's hard to receive. It's hard to accept. It's hard to have that sense of, of, of being loved, being touched. Oh, uh, we, so we resist grace. We resist having the, the grace that, we, that God in Christ is trying to pour out upon us. So, we've got that first passage that was read today from Romans. I love that one. As a psychoanalyst, it is right on target. Because uh, uh, he, he, he's saying, you know, the things I would, I can't, and the things I don't want to do, I do. There is no help in me. I've lived in the prison house of sin, and I just can't understand it. I can't, I'm, I'm steeped through with this. And I've tried, and in the best of me, it doesn't work. And, you know, there's no hope in me. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. How can I get out of the confusion of this life? Is there no help? You know, that's a good place to begin. Because he said, I was so full of myself that I thought I could run it, that I couldn't accept the fact that, that I needed help. Now, that's the genius of AA. You realize you've hit bottom. The problem with, the greatest theological problem of our time is we don't realize we've hit bottom and we've got a long way to go and we're in trouble economically, politically, socially, across the board. But... We don't want to listen to him on how you get out of trouble, how you're cared for, how you're dressed, because what it means is, is a change. And, and the author of Romans said, is there no help? But then he goes from the seventh chapter into the eighth and said, yes, there is help. Jesus has come, and by his grace, and you have that glorious passage in the eighth chapter of Romans how he is there to, to be with us, that nothing, nothing can separate us from the Lord of a God in Christ. Now that's one, to, how do we get from the place of being hopeless and despairing in the confusion to the point where I am so cared for. I am so loved. It's overwhelming. It's glorious. It's beautiful. 
because we're his. I'm not trying to run on my own. I'm understanding how to relate to one who's there for us. And then we go into that passage in Matthew, which is marvelous. And where Jesus had beforehand been talking to them about this, the cities that were in near such destruction. And, but then he came in and said, you know, this generation's a tough one to get through to. How do we, how do we get, how do I get to them? He said, they, you know, uh, we pipe and they won't dance. We dance and they mourn. And, but then he said, then John comes and he fasts and I come and I feast. And they always put us down. But that is the role of the establishment that anything that challenges the status quo of our comfortable existence where we are is, 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 does not, is going to fight and resist accepting change. It's going to resist transformation. And you see, then he said, but, you know, Father, we have a good relationship and I want this to go on. And I want people to understand it. I'm, ever, I'm ready to go over every line by line until they get it. And then he said, turn out, you know, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you bummed out on religion? You know, whatever it is, come to me. Come with me. If you'll if you'll walk with me, if you'll work with me, if you'll watch me, I can show you how we can do it. We can set something up that's going to be good and real. I I, I want you to be able to tune in to the unhurried rhythms of grace. How about that for us? for strain by which to live, to hook into the unhurried rhythms of grace. In the hurriedness of our world, we got weary. But he said, if you'll listen, if you'll listen, I'm here. And so, uh, he said, if you'll keep company with me. Now, the other translation said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My, so you know that one, you could recite it. But uh, Peterson puts it in a new way. If you'll keep company with me, you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, this doesn't mean indifferently, but it means your spirit isn't pressed down because you've got to do it. Your spirit is buoyed up by the sense that I'm with you, and we, we walk and work and, and watch the way God wants to move and work in our time. And so... Um, How do we learn the unfolding rhythm of grace in a time that is so hurried and so troubled? How can you do it? How do we connect to this Jesus who we really have not understood? We've made him too judgmental. We've made him too... uh, much of, of, of shame rather than grace. And Jesus is coming in into, uh, into our lives and trying to make it real. How do, how do we get the Jesus rhythm? I think 
It's a shift of consciousness. The idea that we can be converted and tuned up uh, doesn't work. We, we have to look about what I think Jesus was talking about was a transformation of our consciousness in the way we behold everything that's around us, with the way we behold the world, the way we behold each other, and the way we then live it out. You see, because if, you've let, if you let Jesus really wash your feet and get to your heart, then he's going to be able to open you up so you, you, you feel comfortable and, and, and related and conscious. And, uh, and I think that we have to work to go from myself to the real self. Now, Thomas Berry, whom I've quoted a number of times, the great cosmologist. Now, that's not one of these people who do the face. This is, this, this is one of the people who sees the cosmos and its magnitude and its majesty and, and its glory and all it is. And he did a work called The Great Work. And, and he used three words to help explain that that we have to understand the immensity of the cosmos, the intensity, and the intimacy. And when he was talking about the, the awareness that we be, uh, become aware of the galaxies of our time, the majesty and the, and the amazingness. Uh, did you read in the New York Times this week where, where they were digging down in to do the, the subways in New York and come came across this rock that was it 435 million years old. Now that challenged the 4,000 year creation theory. Excuse me, but uh, but it but you can see and and those rocks were formed by the collision of the continents. Amazing beyond that, and and and, and they talk about the galaxies beyond our, anything that we know. The sweep of that. It's only one that the psalmist could understand and, and, uh, and uh, to be able to see and, uh, and to work with. But he said, what it should awaken in us is awe and wonder so that our response is humility and gratitude. And then he talked about the intensity of, of the world and the intensity... And that is that uh, uh, the scientists before talked about it as a machine, uh, as something that uh, needed to be maneuvered or understood. But he said, no, no, the intensity is that matter and energy, everything in the universe is a living, breathing organism of which we're one part. We aren't just the masters of a small world. We're in a cosmos in which it is the creation, it's groaning to into, its, into existence, to come into life, and, and uh, comes with an energy, and breathing, so that the, the only way to get a hold of this is a new revelatory experience, where we understand how God, our scientists are telling us, our poets are telling us, our musicians are telling us, but somehow we got a flat world theology too often, that doesn't encompass and embrace the richness of that. And he said, but it isn't just the scientists that see the great sweep. It's the people who walk, walk along, along around the beach and, 
through the gardens and, and see the nature. We were down there this morning. We had a chorus going of the, of the sea washing in. And we could see the wind, invisible as it was, blowing the flag. We could see the movement on the sea going. And, and, and forgetting, we forget what Jesus said. You know, remember the birds of the air and the flowers of the sea. God did not dress them, but loved them. And, and the Heavenly Father who does this for creation, he's wanting to do it for you. You see, our trying to feel that we got to do it. We got to earn it. We got to control it. Because what we're trying to get, and this is a hard one to get a hold of, that God in his greatness and mercy, and this is what the Pharaoh couldn't get, and that's why he went down when Moses said, God will provide when I didn't know how he would. But that that would guide and bring to the, the, come home. You know, I, I care for the birds and the flowers, and I care for you. And if, and if you'll go with it, I'll, I'll see it so that so that we will move from humility and gratitude to justice and compassion. And then the third part of his was from immensity and intensity to intimacy is the awe when we get the flavor and the, and the tenor and the tune of it all that we understand our belonging, our belongingness, that we not just humans, but the whole creation is breathing, seething, birthing, living, and we're a part of it. And the important thing for us to realize, the reason Jesus came to wash feet and he came to break the bread and give the cup was to show you, you're not alone. You belong Come home to me. Not in some distant sky. Right here and now so we can learn to live together. We can learn to care for one another. We can learn that our ambition may be wild in terms of self-interest rather than a sense of a community. You see, when we consume and compete, we worry. But when we cooperate and share we learn more we're related. That we belong to each other. You see, I think we maybe could understand Jesus. We, we, we don't get the cross thing very easily. But if you get the foot thing, if you let Jesus in your devotions and understanding really hold and touch cleanse the feet. You're feeling the love. You can understand it. So then when you come to the table, you know, you're invited home. Come home. We're going to have a meal together. Let's share it. And so we've made it too symbolic. We've got to make it recognize. Let our imaginations take this great gift and, 
and work it out so that when he gives us the bread and the cup, he's saying, this is my life for you. Because I'm, I'm working with this, so I haven't figured it all out, but, but the love of God in Jesus. I think Richard Rohr has helped me on this. That love and suffering always go together. There's something in the nature of the universe, and to understand it, we have to, that our love isn't just ethereal. It's concrete and present and real. And so, uh, he wants to help us feel and know. And so he's, so that, but you see, any mother could say, a love is suffering because you don't have a child without some suffering. If you want to come to grips with some of the things that God has called us to do, it, it, it may involve and entail some suffering. Jesus loved. He said, I want them to go over it line by line so they'll know me. So that, know the Father, so that can see our oneness with the cosmos. To believe it. Upped it. So, I'm willing to do anything. Even dying in front of you. The establishment doesn't get it. Hello. Then and now. The powers that be are not the powers that will determine history and hope. When we come to the table, we're coming home to be nourished in a spirit that is love but is fulfilled in suffering love to make it understood and near. So, come home. Because he said, my, my burden is easy. It doesn't, it doesn't look easy from where we sit. But, talk to anybody who's in real creative service. My mother Teresa, she had her moments like Romans 8, but But she said, you know, this is love. This is love. I love. And you you can name them. Go down the line like this. And when you're you're called to be with and challenge, when, when your feet are washed and your heart is light and you understand the love of God, you don't go with fear. You go with faith. You go with trust. You go with love. Because you know through a love that's willing to suffer to help people understand. This doesn't mean judging them or damning them or, con- or con- condoning them to some other place. It means we accept everyone who and where they are and in humility and a non-violent presence we come to them and say, can we break bread together? He invited us in breaking bread. But the breaking bread is the sharing of life. It's not losing, it's gaining. Amen.